0: One of the reasons why I love Asana so much is because it was created to help teams organize, track and manage their work so that they can accomplish more. It doesn't matter what time of day or time zone you find yourself in, teams are always aligned no matter what. Book a call to see how Asana can make the difference in eliminating work
1: about work within your team. Welcome to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Mark e. Murray. In Systems We Trust dives into all things systems and processes and interviews the professionals who are using them to change the landscape of their organizations every day. This podcast is fueled by Ditto, a team that is on a mission to eliminate team burnout by implementing systems and processes that streamline your business's growth. Are you ready for more clarity? Here we go.
0: Welcome back to another episode of In Systems We Trust. My name is Mark Key and I am your host. And today I'm really excited to have Jenny Blake on the show. Uh, I was on Jenny Blake's podcast, uh, Free Time, a few months ago. We had such an incredible conversation and I'm excited to welcome um, Jenny here today. Jenny Blake is an author and podcaster who loves helping people move from friction to flow through smarter systems powered by delightfully tiny teams. Today we're talking about her award-winning third book, Free Time time lose the busy work love your business she's also the author of pivot the only move that matters is your next one she also hosts two podcasts with over 1 million downloads combined free time with jenny blake for heart-based business owners and pivot with jenny blake for navigating change jenny it is my honor and privilege to welcome you to the
2: show Thank you so much for having me, Marky. I love geeking out on all things systems. And as soon as I found out about you and your work, I was just so delighted to be in touch. So thanks for having me on your show.
0: Of course. I remember, I mean, like when we, when we first connected, you were excited. I was excited. I think I was smiling the entire time that I was being interviewed by you. So it was so great to be on the show. So I'm going to flip it over to you. I always love to start with, you know, what's your story? What's your background? I mean, I I read your bio there, um, but I left some things out. You are, you know, you've won some awards, you know, things like that. You've had a a, a great career, you know, um, working at, you know, Google and, and doing some, a lot of other things, can you just kind of tell us your story? You know, how did you get to this point? You know, at uh, at your life um, right here and right now.
2: Yeah, well, I'm one year shy of turning forty, <laughs> so I never start with my age, but in this context, maybe it's helpful. What I find interesting looking back on my career is just the sizes of the different companies that I've been a part of. So I took a leave of absence from UCLA to join a political polling startup in Palo Alto. I was the first employee and grew it to 30. So I was entry level. I was the office manager, webmaster, and marketing assistant. But that was really interesting to see a company being built, like I said, from one to 30 over two years. They later got acquired. I finished school part-time while still working there. So by the time I graduated, I already had a job. And right around that time, I also started building a blog and a website called Life After College in 2005. So I've always had a desire to have a creative expression. After working at the startup, I didn't have the language for it at the time, but I pivoted. I kind of hit a plateau in my growth there. I pivoted over to Google in training and eventually career development. And I saw Google grow from 6,000 to 36,000 employees. So that was its own MBA for five and a half years of being at the tech epicenter and what is it like to build and scale and train and retain team members at that size of a global organization. In 2011, by the time my first book was coming out, I thought I was going on a three-month sabbatical and you know how it goes. I ended up not going back because my side hustle, the book launch, everything had grown so quickly that I realized I just couldn't do both anymore. So now for the last 11 years, I've been happily running my own business, as you read in the intro, with a delightfully tiny team. I like to say nobody in my business works full-time, including me. And I've really focused on a a mantra that I've had at all these different career incarnations comes from the world of agile development. Each time you repeat a task, take one step toward automating it. So I joke that my first employee is software, and that's how I stay small. I don't really want to manage a lot of people. I don't think I'm particularly that great at it. I love just being a lean, mean content producing machine, but also building scalable programs where I'm not the bottleneck.
0: That's so great. And I've heard that, you know, employee um, analogy in another way, where it's like, Maybe it's not your first employee, but your your best employee, the one that you put like the most amount of effort into should be like your
2: website as an example. Um, yeah, or automation tools. There's so yeah. much in the business that so much busy work and minutiae that nobody has to do if you just take a little extra time to understand software and automations that I know this is partly what you and I were really geeking out on and Nick Sonnenberg, a mutual friend that if you can just take a few extra steps now, it can save time far into the future because then nobody on the team has to do it. And in my case, I really do feel that I've saved the need to even hire all kinds of different team members because of how much is streamlined through software. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And definitely like coming in at the right, at the right time. I I love your, your thought about, you know, moving, you know, the the, the process forward and, and trying to automate it. Uh, I, I'm curious if we can, you know, kind of just touch a uh, high level on what it is that you do, how do you work with your customers? I, I know that you provide, you know, career development and you have a framework for, for forward thinking organizations, pivoters and entrepreneurs. So I'd love to know, like, what a typical customer looks like, what a typical engagement looks like, and, you know, what does this process look like um, within your business and how do you actually um, work with your with your clients to you know um, a- affect this change?
2: The way I've been describing it recently, and it, it's always evolving, is that I run a media and IP licensing company because the media aspect is the thing that I love most. So I have two podcasts, as you mentioned, a newsletter for each. The reason for that is that even though I've written three books, my first book, Life After College, did very well but I kind of was ready to move on. Now I say that I have two skis in my business, pivot and free time. Pivot is for high net growth individuals. It's anybody at any stage who's navigating what's next. And these last few years, we've all gotten pivoted on a daily basis. So we've all had a front row seat to my mantra for that book, which is if change is the only constant, let's get better at it. And then free time in terms of content production is for small business owners, and that's applying free time as a verb. It's a skill. It is something that we can get better at, freeing our time continually so we can do more and more of our best work. Within each of those skis, I have pretty much three kind of uh, scalable offerings or they each have their own flywheel. So for example, with Pivot, I don't do one-on-one coaching anymore, but I have a team of subcontractors who are... Pivot coaches who fulfill the one-on-one coaching demand. There's also for companies. Companies can license the materials. So for example, I still work with Google to this day. They've rolled out Pivot as their global career development framework and the basis for some core trainings that they have and manager resources, conversation cards, things like that. And then on the free time side, Of course, the newsletter and the podcast are free. That goes for both shows. And then with free time, I also have a free time coach that hasn't really ramped up too much yet. A community for small business owners. That's another scalable aspect for kind of B to small B and then speaking and licensing as well. So free time is newer. It just came out in March of 2022. So there's less happening, but with both, my intention has been. Creating options at every level, but making sure that each of those options is one to many and scalable. So nothing that I do anymore in the business is it keeps me as the bottleneck, except for keynote speaking. And even there, I've trained facilitators for both, just in case a company says you're way too expensive. I still want to be able to give them an option.
0: What does what does that look like? That's interesting. So you have a, a facilitator, someone that can you know step in for you or provide like some kind of support. Yeah. Can you talk more about that?
2: Yeah. I, I once flew to people who had been very close to me and part of my community. I could tell they were really excited about the material and I once flew them to shadow me delivering training in Paris so that they could learn how to deliver the material. I was doing a train the trainer at that time, which is part of the licensing program, but it's, mm-hmm. it essentially means ramping up a small handful of people I don't get as much demand. I mean, my goodness, the last few years has been nearly nothing in person. So I'm happy to fulfill whatever demand there is, except not when it's involves traveling across country. Like just to give you an example, if somebody says, you know, my budget is $10,000 and you need to travel across country. To me, in reality, that takes a week out of my life. (laughs) There's Mondays packing. Tuesday is all day travel. Wednesdays the event. Thursday is all day travel. Friday is recouping and then doubling down on family life because I've been gone all week. Saturday, Sunday, recovering. I'm tired. So what seems like a one hour keynote is a, a huge investment of my time, my energy, my opportunity cost. And now we have COVID risk. So Mm -hmm. I, Jenny, am being even more selective about what I say yes to. And so training a small handful of trusted, skilled facilitators also means that sometimes we can serve companies regionally. So someone says, can you fly to, again, cross-country or to Canada for 10000 Maybe I, Jenny, can't do that, but I have someone close by who can or whose fees are a little lower because they're not a decade into keynote speaking as a main crux of their career. And with my subcontractors, I always ask them, what rate is joyful for you now? So I'm also not somebody who works with subcontractors. Like what's the minimum I could pay someone to go deliver a pivot keynote or an interactive pivot workshop is it's, I actually want to know what's joyful for them. And then I'll price accordingly with the client where there is still a revenue share that's joyful for all involved, like for me, for the subcontractor. And that's still going to work for the client.
0: Wow. I I love your vocabulary. And you're just so intentional about the words that you put out, right? Like to hear, um, you know, what amount is joyful for you. I I love that. And like, obviously, you can see that you're actually living everything that you wrote out in the book, which is really nice to see. Um, Interesting, the approach that you take. If it's okay, Jenny, we're going to talk about your book today. Um, I'm I'm a note taker and I like to highlight things and 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 I've been highlighting your book as I've been going through. So I'm going to read. It's going to be a little bit of story time. Um, And then I'm going to ask you some questions. Is that all right?
2: Sounds great. And real quick, before we move, I just wanted to say, asking people what rate is joyful for you is so different than what is your fee? Because I think sometimes people don't know what to say. They don't know what's a random guess. And I want the feeling that everyone on my team is jumping out of bed. So if, if someone's yeah. gonna be a, you know, go deliver a pivot session for the day, when I say what's joyful for you, then they have that palpable excitement. Then they're feeling really happy. It's a number that gets them super excited. They're gonna be happier on the day of delivery. Everything about it has more energy currency flowing through it than if I were to just say like what's the minimum you'd accept to go do this for me. (laughs) So I just wanted to add that. Okay. Now story time. Can't wait.
0: One quick question. Yeah. You got me you got me thinking now. How how do you negotiate then, right? Like the the rate is that is joyful for that person. It's more than isn't within your budget. So anything less is going to be either insulting to to that contractor or it's going to make It's going to put them in a situation where they're not going to be joyous or, you know, um, looking forward to the opportunity. So what do those conversations look like? How do we negotiate, you know, or is there even an opportunity to do that? Because it's just if this is what is going to make you happy, let's do it.
2: Yeah, sometimes their rate might still be higher than the potential end client. And by the way, I try not to negotiate with the end clients too much. Like the fees are what they are. Um, within reason, of course, but I try not to just have it be completely random what we price, you know, usually there's standard pricing. So let's say if I'm doing an international keynote, I might, the starting point might be 30K and maybe for a subcontractor, it might be 15 or 10 K, but then they tell me their joyful rate is 5 K. Okay. Then we can split it 50, 50. They're thrilled. Cause that rates joyful. Let's say it's 10 K their rate. They told me their joyful rate is five. We would probably split split 50, 50, or sometimes I do 60, 40, where they keep sixty and the business and I keep 40 just to, again, mm, spark yeah. a little extra joy. Cause they're the one doing most yeah. of the work. And if their fee, if let's say an end client said they only had 5,000, then we'd say, well, let's talk about virtual. <laughs> you know, we just, I yeah. wouldn't, I could maybe try to find subcontractors at every level of investment or in skill, but I'm not even interested in that level of complexity. Sometimes it's just not going to be a fit. And if someone has zero right. budget, I once had a company tell me they were so excited to roll out my material globally. And they had this big global HR organization. And I said, great. How exciting. What's your budget? And they said, Oh, it's zero. (laughs) We have no budget. It's like, okay, then here are the free resources and we got to move on.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. You have to know where you stand. And and it's good that you have those kind of guidelines to, to direct that decision-making and that thought process. It's really interesting that they came back with zero, though, knowing who you are and what you're actually delivering to them. But anyway, that's always side. a
2: head scratcher. It's like they want yeah. the world, but then they have no budget. But then it would clearly boost their bottom line and retention and engagement and very, like, e- figures that are very easy to tie to ROI. And <laughs> it's like, and still you're telling yeah. me your budget's zero. It's just, it's a strange way of operating. And that's why sometimes with pricing, you can't take it personally. It's actually the stage that the other organization is at. And I think right after that conversation, they ended up getting acquired. So things are okay. always in flux. It's always surprising what is ending up happening right behind the scenes that, I, that I'm not privy to.
0: Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay. You ready for some questions? Let's do it. I has anyone ever done this to you, by the way? Just read from your book. Um,
2: No, but it's really my favorite because I never know when I'm writing what's going to resonate. And when I see it marked up, it's like Christmas for me as an author, because it means that the ideas, like they made it into your hands and you found something worthy of highlighting and now reading aloud. And it's just so fun because it all becomes a blur at the end. Once I've read it a gazillion times and then knowing what you find meaningful is it's a gift. So I'm looking forward to it.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So um it starts off by this saying, consider, does your business give you energy or does it take energy? If the latter, if it is a ladder, it is because of a short-term efforts that are strengthening you um for the long term, or you are stuck in a never-ending loop with no light at the end of the tunnel. Your business might have uh, strong systems in place, but a few broken links that need fixing. Or you may have the wrong systems set up for you. Um that you for what you're trying to achieve. Sorry. And, and here's the, p- the point that stood out for me. Perhaps you have not created sustainable, repeatable systems in the first place and are relying on a fatigable uh, human systems like willpower and memory. Right? Like I see that so often. It's like they they understand that they need systems. Right. And they, they understand like what they can do and what they can help them achieve long term. Maybe they've seen it or they've thought about it, but they're, they're still stuck in this mindset where, you know, I, I've got it all up here. You know, I don't need to write it down or, or document it. So my question is, you know, how do you approach this with, with your customers or through your training? How do you break that, that cycle. You talk about this loop. How do you break that within them to show them the value in creating airtight systems where they're no longer relying on this willpower and memory that they've become so used to?
2: Yeah. Oh, I, I love that you pulled this out. And I have to give a hat tip to David Allen. I read Getting Things Done probably over right. 15 years ago now while I was working at Google. And that book really blew my mind. I quote one line from him in Free Time, the mind is for having ideas, not holding them. He was the first person that put it so succinctly that our mind is not best at memory and willpower. And the part you read, those are fatigable systems. They're not reliable. And I, I probably don't even have to tell anybody listening that they're not reliable because you feel it. When we're over-muscling, where we're over-efforting in the business, when we're relying on anything in any one person's head whether it's the owner or a team member we're screwed in a way because if that's not what our minds are for it's not what they're good at our minds are for big creative strategic thinking and planning and all those prefrontal cortex executive planning you know the clearer it is the more of the exciting stuff we can do the more of our best work and any business owner knows that it can be, it's, it's fragile. You're creating a fragile business. If you're relying on these things, because if you wake up on the wrong side of bed, if you get sick, if you have a team member who's out, you're fragile, you're, you're vulnerable because all of a sudden information about your business is locked up in somebody's mind and they're not available to transfer it to anyone who, anyone else who needs it or anyone who needs to step in. And and that's even when something's going wrong on a day-to-day basis, it's like, are clogging up the gears with a bunch of extra crud that as soon as if you just get it out of your head and into a smart system, then everybody can work in a freer, clearer way. It frees up our time. It frees up our mind. And it makes the business so much more secure because every single item, large and small, is documented, is somewhere in an externalized business mind or what Tiago Forte calls a second brain. Whatever language you want to use for it, we're all getting at the same thing, which is create an intranet, essentially, that isn't you and that none of your business relies only on you. And that makes it so much easier to delegate in the future as well and onboard and train and so on. It really empowers team members, too.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm curious, where do you see this impacting um, businesses the most then? Because when I come in um, to a business, I'm looking around their Their problems are that. You know, either this person, sorry, they realized for the first time that they didn't have proper systems when one of their key people left the company, right? So this person is now Gone, they've moved on, they've taken another position, or whatever they've been terming, whatever the circumstances, that person who created that system who, who was running that process is no longer there. And there is a gap. There's a there's a hole, and we're trying to figure out how we can fix this thing. How do we keep operating? You know, how do we get our, our the rest of our team aligned and on board? And so that's where I often see that it's happening. And we're coming in to kind of pick up the pieces and fix things, and once and for all, start to create these systems and, you know, change that thinking. So where, where does that become evident for you? Where do you see it with your customers and, you know, what's your kind of pathway to, to start um, fixing things?
2: Yeah. What you described is challenging because there's missing information and now you have to try to retrace steps or the owner has to get back involved at a level. Maybe they haven't been in years That's one issue. So, yes, somebody leaves with crucial information that's not documented. Another issue that I find running a very small business, again, with no full-time employees, I get really annoyed when I have to repeat myself. So when there is employee turnover, if things are not documented, or in my case, it's not full-time employees, but let's say contractor turnover, If things are not fully documented and we don't improve our documentation every single time somebody joins and leaves the team, what happens is I'm repeating myself. I'm explaining for the fifth time how to do the same thing. And that really annoys me. So that's another issue. And then I'll share with you a mortifying client moment. So another way that this gets expressed is almost like the red flag in the business is when it actually affects your clients and has potential to damage your reputation. So let mm. me give you an example of memory failure. Mm. I had a client place an order for 10,000 pivot workbooks. This was the highest quantity of workbooks in the history of pivot, you know, in six years. And mm. we were so excited about this. So I had a team member who was uh, working on the client side. She was communicating with a client and everything, but We needed to wait until the funds got deposited from the client before we shipped the workbooks. Simple, right? So she assigns the task to me and I remembered that week to check my bank. And then I was writing free time. So I got into this really deep hermit mode and I was mostly off of email. Bottom line, I forgot. So the next time I remembered to check my bank, the money had arrived almost a month prior. We didn't thank the client. We didn't confirm with the client. And we definitely didn't ship mm. the workbooks. I was mortified. Mm. And we ended up saying, oh, we're so sorry. We just saw the the funds arrived. We're going to ship the workbooks. And by the way, we'll throw in an interactive keynote with Jenny. So in a way, their purchase, like the value of the keynote was even more than what they got. So we kind of doubled what they were going to get out of it as a thank you for your patience. We tried to smooth it over, but that experience while I was writing free time led me to write the section that says the owner is not the owner because what happened, and of course, as the owner, I need to own everything hundred percent. But what happened was my team member punted it over to me and said, okay, Jenny owns this now. No, I don't. The business owner is a terrible person to own a small thing. Like when these funds arrive, even if it's in my bank account, The team member needs to stay on it and every week say, Jenny, can you check again? Can you check again? Have the funds arrived? So they need to set a recurring task to recur weekly so that they don't forget. And then in this case, we need to have a rule moving forward that the client person stays on it and bothers the owner as much as needed, but the owner is never the owner. (laughs) And so as a general rule in the business, the owner needs to really not be the one owning any small tasks, even if somebody is waiting on them for approval or review or some next step, it's just a terrible idea. And it's a recipe for failure.
0: That is process improvement in action and good on you for like owning that. I mean, the, the situation, the, the mess up in this case and like doing what you needed to do to, uh, to, to, to fix it.
2: It's just, it's an example of a complete systems failure. It's like, it it yeah. was no one, per, in a way it was both of our fault and also neither of our fault. You know, like she had a very yeah. valid thing of, well, I was waiting on you. And I had this valid thing of like, oh shoot, I was writing a book and I forgot. Like if, if it's anyone's fault, it's mine. But the more important thing is not who is at fault. It's what, where did the system break down? And yeah. in doing that, nobody needs to take it so personally It's never about attacking someone. It's just like clearly we didn't set up an ironclad system that's going to ensure that nothing like this falls through the cracks. That's what I'm always most curious about.
0: If you're hearing my voice, consider this to be your official invite to join the Asanaverse community on Facebook. It's the number one group on Facebook where you can ask questions, learn alongside other professionals, and find tons of resources to help take your Asana skills to the next level. Search Asanaverse on Facebook to join the conversation. Something else that you said that I want to touch on before we move to the next question is, you know, you said that when it comes to like these systems and processes, like you're almost getting frustrated, right? That... There, there either isn't a process in place or that the team member doesn't know it. And I'll tell you a bit of my personal story. That's how I really got started in documenting processes years ago when I was running my marketing agency. I was onboarding team members and like you, answering a lot of the same questions over and over and over again. Um, as I was onboarding them, the same questions were coming to me. And at one point I, I did get frustrated and it was almost like, like, leave me alone. Like You should know how to do this, but... That was obviously the wrong, you know, stance to take and the result and the output was good. I started, you know, documenting and writing things down and I I screen recorded, you know, a lot of my processes using Loom. And for the future people that were coming on, it was here's a resource, go read it, go watch this video. But if as the leaders and the owners of the companies um, of these businesses, if we're not taking the time to do this, we are we are setting our team up for failure, We are ensuring that they are going to waste time, waste our resources, you know, figuring things out over and over and over again. And so um, that resonated uh, with me as you were saying it, because I think everyone's got a story like that. And maybe you're still at the point where you haven't figured out that it's on you to take the first step.
2: And here's an example to, to build on that. I find that training somebody how to process our email inboxes, we have three. My personal email, Pivot, we use Help Scout for the team inbox. So there's Pivot, Help Scout, and Free Time, Help Scout. And email is so complicated. If, if somebody comes on and their entire job role is to help with email, it is it is so hard. (laughs) It's just like a hydra. You just, you teach one thing, two more pop up that they've never seen. And it actually is like saying here, understand the entire business all at once and how to handle any random thing that comes in. It's just, it's incredibly complex. And what I noticed was even though we had process documented in our manager manual, I use notion in my business. And later we created an email guide. That's almost like a subset. It's a specific database just on email alone we also have canned responses in text expander and yet there was still a gap where emails would come in to help scout and a new team member wouldn't know what to do and sure enough i was explaining it again here's where to find it in the manager manual here's the email template okay or here's a loom So now what I do is I set up a workflow in Help Scout. So let's say a member of my BFF community for business owners. Let's say we get a cancellation notice. BFF member has canceled. Mm. Now I append a note automatically when they cancel that points to the loom, the next steps, the area of the manager manual, and the email guide. Like whatever exists to process this now is appended automatically as a note when certain messages come in so that the team member at least has their next steps. They know exactly where to look. And I don't have to tell them those things. And that was an example of training the system, then the person. So if I train the system to get a little smarter, sometimes I'll have a workflow that automatically appends the canned response shortcut in Text Expander. Or you know, we can build them into Help right. Scout now too. But basically adding a little instruction automatically up front helps save the questions that are inevitably going to follow if somebody is new right. to the team.
0: Oh, Jenny, I think we're going to need more time. We're going to need more time <laughs> to talk about all this. So many questions just came from that. Um, I am going to ask one though, because I'm just curious, you didn't dive into it, but uh, Notion, what place does that have in your business? How are you using that? If you a quick, like 30 seconds, what does that look like?
2: Notion is everything. It's everything. It's Incredible. I, it replaced Evernote, Docs, Asana, Sheets, Airtables, and more. It replaced every other tool and software service I was paying for and using and just the same way that 10 years ago, when someone sent a Word document, I would go, "What? what is this attachment? Why isn't this in a Google Doc? Now I'm like, "Ugh, what is this Google Doc? Get this in Notion. <laughs> because in Notion, I never have to leave. And I found that Asana was good for project and task management, but that was it. Whereas Notion incorporates mm-hmm. that and so much more. So in Notion, what I love is it's searchable, customizable, and interlinkable. We have task databases, podcast production, my CRM that I call KIT for keep in touch. We have the manager manual, the email guide. Everything lives in Notion, including I wrote my book, starting with a Notion Kanban style board to move things around non-linearly. I just don't leave anymore. I like I don't leave. And again, in the course of a day, I don't need to do anything. And even it replaced Slack because we can comment oh. and write things to each other Within Notion, we just never have to leave. So the only reason we use Slack anymore is something super time-sensitive. That's the equivalent of a text message, but I just try to keep texts to personal use. And so Slack is like, Mm -hmm. Jenny, I need you write this instant. and gets my attention, but that's it. We don't even use that anymore.
0: Okay. I'm going to have to have another conversation with you because I... I used Notion years ago before I started using Asana for business. And you know I love Asana. That's what I do. That's what Ditto does. Um, And I, I was using it for my personal life before I ever used it for business. But I made the choice at one point to shut off Notion, take all my SOPs out of there, put them all in Asana you know, all of our project work management's in there. I've been trying to do notes in there as well. And like, it doesn't work great. So I'm looking for another tool, but I love that you found this like one stop for everything.
2: Because with Asana, you're still beholden to their framework of what the software is doing. Notion, what's so intimidating. And I, when I first tried Notion, I basically was like, what's the learning curve on this? I don't get it. It was just a blank page. It was meaningless to me. It wasn't until a Mm. year later that I really got into it, and then I never stopped. And I even created for business owners something I call the Free Time Operations Dashboard, which is essentially everything I built, every system I just described, I basically templatized it because I want to save other owners' time. It's Mm. so hard to go from zero to one with Notion if you want it to be your entire business hub. And so I do sell that. I forgot to mention that's one of my revenue streams on the Free Time side. It's kind of a software esque product, but it's really just here. I built the entire thing for you. Start. You don't have to start from scratch. But what's yeah. powerful about Notion is that when you want to create a database, like you could essentially create what Asana does in just one database and then slice and dice different views, different metadata of the custom fields that you want to put. And I know Asana is developing a lot more and they're doing a lot more of this, mm-hmm. but Asana is still one primary function of task and project management. And it's not as good for the rest of things that might be happening in the business. And so with Notion, you can just so easily at reply other pages, other people um, that I find it much more expansive. It's like it's like a just free for all sandbox. And that's the good news and the bad news. But you're not beholden to another software's idea. Like Mm. even ClickUp is such powerful software and it looks really awesome. But I feel now that I can just recreate so many software tools. I just recreate them myself in Notion. And it's really fun. I think you'd have fun doing that.
0: <laughs> That's how I feel about Asana though. It's like, yeah, yeah, I agree. Like Google Docs, spreadsheets, like anything someone sends me, I'm like, just put this at Asana, please. Right. And then I'm the one like recreating it on that platform. And like because of my project management background, like I look at Asana as like, yeah, we are managing tasks, projects, timelines updates, all of that happens in that tool. And then I think of Notion. I've only ever used it as like a knowledge base, but obviously like there's so much more that it can do now that I either haven't tapped into or I don't even want to explore because then that would mean that I wouldn't be using another tool that I love and have based my business around. Right. So. And then there's uh, switching
2: costs. I'll send you a few looms. You're welcome to put them in the show notes if you want, but on just just checking it
0: out. You never know. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Um, ready for another question?
2: Sure. All
0: right. So it was a section on friction um, versus flow. So it said the early days of any business are inherently scrappy, doing whatever it takes to create products and services that yield um, consistent cash flow. Yes. For many entrepreneurs, success can breed added stress so then you talk about these three points there's the pressure to take on new clients to meet escalating overhead and payroll all been there prices are too low Um, not reflecting the value delivered and increasing complexity of running the business and then porous boundaries with team and clients that consume crucial recharging time man like jenny like this book is just like just doing incredible things for me so I, i would love to hear from you Based on your experience, what you see, what you, you know, um, kind of teach with your customers, what does that, what should that transition period look like um, for any business where like, yes, it's scrappy. Yes, we're doing what we need to do. But at some point, you know, what are some of the signs that we should, you know, begin to look for to know that we're either on the right track or it's time to, you know, slow things down. Seth Godin in his book, I can't remember which one it might've been purple cow, but like one of the chapters is on knowing when to quit, knowing when it's just not working and turn it off. So what have you seen? Are, are those signs that, yeah, we're on, we're on the right track and we're just doing everything we need to do as a scrappy business owner. Keep going. We're almost there. And then what are the signs that it's time to just either pivot or move on to something
2: else? Well, you know, the book opens with a story about burn it all down mode. <laughs> so if you're yes. fantasizing about burning your business down, you've probably reached a breaking point and I call it the, the indicators are the burdensome bees. You're bored, bottlenecked, burnt out, or buried in bureaucracy. Those mm. things I find for so many business owners, it's one of those four that is just like driving you mad and that's a clear sign that it's time to most likely sure pivot, but also do less like the three P's you read, the pricing porous boundaries. I mean, those are also, it's just like a reality check. What is this really costing me to run my business? And then as I talk about in the book, our PNL statement that we look at to see the business's health has nothing to do with our time, but for so many business owners, we want our time back. That's why we started this in the first place. So The sign that you're on the right track, I would say, is that things start flowing easier. Like the diagnostic in the book is where are you in friction where are you in flow? And you can either start with your biggest bottleneck, the thing that's causing you the most pain, where you have the most friction around, and try to solve for that. My friend Leanne asked the question, how can I fall in love with this again? So if it's your clients, like how can I fall in love with my clients again? Or which clients am I already in love with and I can stop accepting the rest? Pricing, what's joyful for you? What's at the intersection of revenue, ease, and joy? Can you stop doing the rest? Team, is your team too big or too small? I talk about, you know, my moniker, Delightfully Tiny Teams. If they're, if the team is too small, IKA, you're the only one in the business, there's nobody, you are going to get burnt out and you are more fragile because it's only, it's all resting on you. There's no even psychological break, but for some owners, if your team is too big, you're also unhappy. Like I expanded my team very rapidly to the biggest network of contractors that I had ever had while free time was coming out. That's the irony of it all. And I I just didn't love it. I didn't love it. And I I have always been hard on myself that, well, if I were a better business owner, I would love managing people and I would love building a bigger team. And I have had to be really honest with myself. Like, that's not true. (laughs) That I like working with a small handful of people who are great at what they do, joyful in how they do it. And I don't, I would rather at a certain point turn business away if it helped me keep my time and energy boundaries strong and the pricing strong and less is more. And also, I also don't like being completely beholden to clients either. So a lot of the reason that I do build my platform is to have optionality and to have more visibility and to help people find me. So I don't do any outbound sales. It's always all the work I've ever done in 11 years has been a result of the IP that I've created.
0: Fantastic. What about the boundaries with team members? Because, like, yeah, clients, you can set that up, you can set it up with family, but like, I'll give you a, a quick example. I am an introvert to my core, Me right? Too. Like, I'm loving this conversation yeah. <laughs> and like, we're high energy, like I'm smiling, but like after I'm going to be drained. And for so sure. the same is true for any like work meetings I have. We have a stand up with our team. We have a, a all team call and I'm like, I'm there, I'm on, I'm personable, I love talking to people, but I need that time away. So like some of my best days are when there's nothing on my calendar and I'm like, great. I don't have to talk to anybody today, <laughs> but um, how do you set those boundaries with team members? Like, and your example is a great one. You grew to a lot of contractors. We have uh, close to thirty people on our team. A lot of them are contractors um, working different time zones, hours, and you know, um, some of our key people, like project managers, want to talk to me. And I, I asked one of my team members today, "Hey, can we just have a check-in? You know, early next week. Love to just catch up." I did that because one of my team members kind of raised the flag and said, Hey, you should check in on this person. They're going through a lot right now. I don't like, I don't think about that stuff. I'm not like wide open. I'm not inviting people to, you know, talk to me or or book time with me as well. So, how do we set those healthy boundaries with our team members as well? You know, where like, everything that's urgent is not always urgent. Everything that's a priority for them is not always a priority, but still giving them that time and you know, like making them feel like they're appreciated and heard and understood.
2: Yeah. Well, a couple things. One I say later in the book that we need to retire the role as all seeing question answerer. So in your mm-hmm. case with 30 contractors, you might have a head of operations or somebody who yeah. is the point of contact for all those people. It's interesting that you're, I don't know, see, this is why, like, you could tell me I'm a terrible person. <laughs> and like, I, the weird thing is I'm really empathetic and that's why it it's sensitive. It's its almost like it's um, overwhelming for me to, to think about too many people because it affects me. Mm. But when I worked at Google, like, I didn't expect an email from Larry or Sergey asking how I'm doing, or I didn't expect to meet with them. To check on me. And I'm not saying you should be this heartless owner or something, but I could also see yeah. a scenario in which, yes, you want to make sure that somebody checks in with them and is there for them and listening. I don't necessarily think it has to be you, but just call me crazy for saying that. And then part of it I think is training. So uh all same question answer is that there's this point where the owner is answering everybody's questions all the time, and people are kind of getting a little lazy about just ping-ponging questions over, whether to you, the owner or a manager, and you got to hit that ping-pong ball back and say, you first, what do you recommend? Given what you know, what do you recommend? What are you going to do by when and whether or not you hear from me? And so there's a little bit of training and like, don't just carelessly fling questions at me. Like it's not going to work anymore. (laughs) And please think through these steps before you ask your question. Have you searched the manager manual? Have you searched the help center of software you might be asking me about? Have you taken your best guess? Have you made your own recommendation? Then come with what it is yeah. you want to ask. And the third thing I would say is in terms of, there, there's something I wanted to add about that. In terms of team, you were saying it. Oh shoot, now it just flew right out of my head. We were talking oh, no. about, oh oh, meetings, calendar design. Hmm. Especially if you're the owner. I got to a point where, I was meeting with my team only one day a month and that was really joyful because of aforemented, uh, aforementioned and introversion. You. Now I yeah. understand that's not like a hard driving like team environment, but if you're going to meet with people once a week, can you have one day only of meetings or one day where you're meeting with team members? Like for me, I podcast on Wednesdays and I meet with team members on Thursdays. And almost flipping the script, I I think sometimes we think that most days are for meetings, except for one that's for deep work. And I would try to reverse it, especially if you're the owner. So I block off the fourth week of every month, says do not schedule. I block off Mondays and Fridays, says do not schedule. I block off the month of August, and I block mid-December through mid-January. And I also block the day after most federal holidays. So I'm really aggressive about most of my calendar is blocked. That helps me maintain the discipline of, how many meetings I have in a given day or week?
0: That's so good. I love that like practical, you know, tidbit um, cool. around calendar design. Um, I definitely got some opportunities to improve mine. Um, Jenny, you're speaking to leaders of businesses. You're speaking to um, directors and VPs today. What is you know, a piece of advice. It could be from the book or something you've learned along the way. Your, your biggest piece of advice for for folks listening today around this concept of, of free time.
2: Be an observer over the next two weeks. Notice what frustrates you. I, we talked about frustration today or you could call it friction. Just noticing it gets you out of the grind of reacting to it. And then you'll be so much more equipped to solve for it. So, be an observer two weeks, write down, just even keep a list at your desk of what's frustrating you large and small, and then pick one, pick one that would make the biggest difference in freeing up your time and your energy and actually ask like how, what can I design around this to eliminate it entirely? Like the example I gave of automating help scout notes for certain types of messages. Like That's an example of working on the process, not just in the task. So I would just encourage you to pick one thing. And if you set your mind to it, business owners are inherently creative and great at solving problems. We just, there's often so much going on and so much noise. We don't take the time to to think about systems in this way. So that'll, that'll be everybody's homework is just pick one thing that's frustrating you and ask what kind of system or process you can create to free it up completely.
0: That's great. I love that and as any with anything um all good things you know must come to an end i wish we had more time today to chat but i want to make sure that you have a chance to leave the the listeners with the best place to connect with you you have um, on your website great toolkits you have a newsletter for each podcast like you said you have courses and coaching where is the best place we could direct people to learn more about what you're doing or get in touch with you
2: Yeah, thanks, Marky. This was so fun. Happy to do it again anytime. Search for Free Time with Jenny Blake wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you visit itsfreetime.com slash toolkit, that's where you can get a ton of free tools and templates, all built out in Notion, that can help implement some of these things, including a delegation task tracker of what you could potentially delegate. And if you want to learn more about the Notion dashboard I mentioned, that's at itsfreetime.com slash dashboard.
0: Beautiful. And that will all, those will all be on in the show notes. I'm going to have to go download those and open up my notion again and see what this (laughs) this program has become over the last few years.
2: They just added recurring tasks. So that's a really big deal. That was on the wish list of a lot of people for a while.
0: I'm going to go take a look, Jenny. Thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate this. And yeah, absolutely. We're going to have to have a continuation to this conversation in the near future. Thanks for Looking being here. forward
2: to it. Yeah, thank you for all the great questions, Marquis, and big thanks to everybody who's here listening. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the
1: In Systems We Trust podcast with Marquis Murray. If you liked what you heard today, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Don't forget to rate the episode and share it with a friend. Head over to thinkditto.com to learn more about how the team at Ditto can help your business scale by implementing the systems and processes needed to get you there. Hey,
0: if you're enjoying the episode, I need to ask a favor. Would you just take a minute to go on iTunes leave a quick rating and review of the podcast? This helps the podcast get in front of other listeners just like you. Any help to get the word out is much appreciated. Thanks for listening.